0: so tonight i 'd like to begin with a very short story, and um, in this story the bishop 's ship stops at a remote island, and there are three fishermen there who, in pidgin English, explain that centuries before um, they had been Christianized by missionaries, and they ask this bishop, "Do you know lord?" and oh the bishop asked them, uh, "Do you know the lord 's prayer because he 's pretty excited to find that these guys have been Christianized." And they said, oh yeah, oh yeah, we lift our eyes to heaven and we pray, we are three, you are three, have mercy on us. Now the bishop gets appalled about this and he decides he's going to set them straight. And they're poor learners but they give their best to it. He teaches them the Lord's Prayer and they practice. And he sails away satisfied with himself that he's kind of saved their souls. So a few months pass by and then it just turns out that the bishop is... um, in his ship again and passing near the islands and thinking with great satisfaction about the good works he had done and he notices a spot of light in the east and the light starts approaching the ship and it turns out it's a, there are three figures that are walking on water and when they're within speaking di- distance the three fishermen say, we hear your boat go past, come to meet you please, so sorry, forgot your lovely prayer say, Our Father in heaven, holy be your name, and then forget, please tell us again. So the bishop is greatly humbled, and he says, Go back to your homes, my friends. Each time you pray, say, We are three, you are three. Have mercy upon us. (laughs) What I like about this little story is really about the power of sincerity and um, how much... Of our lives we're trying to do things right, you know get it right, in some way, look good, impress ourselves or impress others and how what moves the world and what really is the path, the freedom is a quality of sincerity, just a deep sincerity in our hearts, and so when our words and our actions, whatever we 're doing, including our meditation, is coming from sincerity when there's a deep caring about what really matters to us. It always brings freedom and healing. And when instead our actions and our words and our behaviors are driven in some way by a narrower intention, a gaining intention or a defensive intention, it actually creates more suffering. And we really stay in trance. So I really like the word sincere. Uh, personally, when I, in some way, reflect and say, okay, in this moment, am I sincere? There's something very powerful. It's kind of an invitation back home again. I immediately detect where I'm not. Not in some way being cynical so much, but in some way not being truly at home in my heart. And the um, origins of the word sincere, originally it meant without wax, and the word came from Europe last century where dishes and plates would chip and crack and they'd be covered with wax. So to be sincere meant letting the, the realness, the vulnerability, the crack show. And in, in a way that's relevant to us, it means not covering over our humanness with defenses or with aggression, staying right at that level of heart, of tenderness. So I've spoken before here about one of um, my favorite teachings from the Zen tradition, which is that the most important thing is remembering the most important thing. Those of you that have been here, I, I hope you've heard me say it a lot. To the degree that as we move through our life there's some remembrance of what's really, really important to us, to that degree our it's like a compass of the heart, we get aligned with that. And that's what ends up guiding us in how we speak, and how we eat, and how we move, and how we live. So there's a kind of circular process on the spiritual path which is that the more we wake up, the more our hearts open, the more that all that matters is an open heart. I mean, it really, really matters. We know that that's more being at home, more true, more, more satisfying than being covered with wax, being defended, being not in our authentic self. So the more, we, the more we wake up, the more what matters is waking up. And the more that that matters, the more our behaviors are aligned in a way that help us to wake up. So it's Circular. So the talk tonight, and I have so much I wanted to cover tonight, it might be next week too, we'll see, um, is on the power of intention and on intention and karma. And I'll speak about that in a moment. Last week I spoke some, for those who were here you'll remember, on the conflictual patterns in our life and how so many of us are familiar with how they repeat themselves. We seem to rerun a lot of the same stories and behaviors. And always those patterns are driven by somewhat unconscious intentions. We're not always aware of it in the moment. But the fight-flight activity is always driven by some intention to either push away what's dangerous or hold on to what we, we need. But in the moment, It's like wax, we're trying to secure ourselves and protect ourselves, but we're not in touch with that. And while there are parts of our conditioning, this fighting and flighting, they don't have to control us, they don't have to rule us. In other words, it's possible, when we're carried away by our conditioning, to pause and remember a deeper intention. And that's really what begins to energize us to new behaviors. And the way it usually works is that we start feeling the suffering of our old behaviors. We really get it that once again we're pushing someone away and we're losing any intimacy in a relationship. Or we get it that once again we're exhausted because we've overextended because we're trying too hard to please. And something in us pauses and says, wait a minute, what really matters? But if we're operating off of narrowed intentions, if we're operating off the intention to punish somebody, to push them away, to get back, to prove ourselves, to accumulate for ourselves all the intentions that I describe as selfing, egocentric intentions, it creates karma that we end up struggling with. So the word karma. I mean, it's all over the place now. I was aware that American Express described itself as the official card of good karma. (laughs) That was great. And then last year there was a New York Times article about Britney Spears saying, Miss Bad Media Karma. You know, it's like karma is everywhere. And um, what it basically is, it's not a mysterious exotic thing. Karma is the law of cause and effect. Karma is basically what we sow that we reap. And um, Mm -hmm. the most important thing we sow is our intention what we bring into any situation, if our intention is sincere, is kindly, that's what we're sowing, and the karma that comes out of that will be towards healing and freedom. If we go into a situation and our our and our and intention is to be hurtful, then that's what we reap. We reap, we'll end up suffering from it. So the example very commonly given is if you pick up a knife and plunge it into another person and you cause death, It could either be that you're angry and um, aversive and operating out of that intention and there's going to be that kind of a negative karma or you could be a skilled surgeon Mm -hmm. and you could be putting a knife into somebody with the intention of doing a very risky procedure and the person could die but that's not the kind of karma you're going to suffer from. So... Basically, I'm setting some context now, saying how whatever our intention in any moment, it creates our karma. The other piece to say is that the way that works, if you want to understand how does our intention end up creating karma, what we, what we reap, you might sense it this way, that whatever your intention is, let's say it's to accumulate, to prove something, Uh, to get back at somebody. If that's your intention, it's going to determine what you pay attention to. So the um, classic example is that when a pickpocket sees a saint, they see the saint's pocket, right? That's the Indian expression. Jose Ortega, Yigaset, says, tell me what you pay attention to and I'll tell you who you are. So when our intention is, I want to feel better about myself, I want to get more things done, then what we're paying attention to is going to have a certain bandwidth, right? And if our intention is, in some deep way, to be generous, then we're going to look for opportunities to give. So just to check this out for a moment. You might close your eyes. and I'm just going to give you two words to reflect on and the first word is trouble just mentally roll trouble around in your mind and just notice what happens and then erase the blackboard and let go of that one and now the word kindness and notice what happens in your body kindness say it a few times these are just two words plucked out of thin air but just notice how your whole body receives them And just sensing the power of certain repeated thoughts to affect your whole system and w- then we can wonder, well, what do we think about regularly? What is the theme or tone of our familiar cocoon of thoughts? Scientists now understand that neurons that fire together wire together. So our habitual thoughts create a whole body-mind experience. So back to this reflection now. The way Buddhist psychology describes it is that before every thought, like trouble or kindness, there's an intention. There's some intention in us to make ourselves safe or to get more for ourselves, or to be helpful. And then we have these thoughts that create our whole body-mind experience. And from the Chinese Buddhist text it reads this, from intention springs the deed, from the deed springs the habits from the habits grow the character from the character develops destiny. This is a familiar chain i for some of you because i've I've given something proximate to that before, so again, from intention, we have intention to have something happen in some way We'll have the thoughts that go around and that creates the deed and then the deed ends up from the deeds springs the habits, from the habits grow the character and from the character the destiny so intention creates our life experience what we're going around intending, what's motivating us creates our life experience and each of us knows what painful karma really means, we know the pain that we live with as a result of unwise actions when we've been in the grip of, you know, intention to protect ourselves or to push others away, when we've acted in ways that have deceived, when we've acted out of anger, when we've been too preoccupied to show up for a loved one, when we've hurt ourselves with addictive behavior, we know that these actions, when they're driven by craving or fear, end up creating a karma that we end up suffering with. Now here's the other principle is that, about karma is that you can't change the past. You can't do anything about the fact that you've been conditioned to have these intentions, you've done these actions, and they've caused harm and it's painful. There's nothing you can do about the past. No matter whether you are a serial murderer or just, you know, in some ways were inattentive in bringing up your children in a way you would, It doesn't matter, you cannot change it. But where we do have possibility is that we can start again in any moment by sensing a deeper level of intention and creating a new karmic pattern. And this is the whole gift and invitation of meditation. You can't change anything about the past. You can create more karma by ruminating over it and punishing yourself or other people for it. But you can't change anything that happened even three minutes ago. But this moment is infinite with its possibility if we're willing to pause and really sense what matters and let what really matters then guide our thoughts and our actions. Does that make sense? The possibility in this moment, when you begin to get that that everything you do has an effect, every thought you have kind of deepens these kind of neural pathways towards either anger or generosity and friendliness, every thought. Then it creates a real motivation to pause and drop in more deeply and sense, who am I really and what do I really care about? And what are the thoughts that are going to then move towards the kind of karma that really has to do with celebration and spontaneity and love and healing? So the Navajo believe that each day a new sun is born. And to honor the sun, we must start again and make our day sacred. Each day a new sun is born. And to honor the day... To honor the sun, we must start again and make what's happening here sacred. So the beauty in that is that no matter what's happened in the past, there's a new sun each day and each moment really. There's not a moment that we don't have this possibility of starting fresh. And for me the key is this word sincerity, that we get caked over with with our kind of habits, I sometimes describe it like a spacesuit that we're, we've kind of taken on. This, these strategies to get through the day. We spend a lot of time trying to get through the day, and our intentions. It's not that they're evil or bad, but our intentions are narrow. Okay, accomplish this, take care of that, avoid this bad thing from happening, and our thoughts are all circling around those narrow intentions. And our whole sense of who we are is shaped by that process. Every moment this new sun is possible where we can pause and ask more deeply what matters every moment. So there's two facets to this path of of being intentional that really can basically free us from past karma. And so the two facets are, the first one is that there's a consciousness to our intentionality. In other words, you can be intentional about proving yourself or competing or beating people or protecting yourself, but not be conscious of it. So one quality that's really important on this path of being more intentional is a quality of deliberateness or consciousness, It's purposefulness. And it's the reason that a purpose-driven life is so popular, because there is a power to purposefulness. And um, it's interesting. One of my friends is very involved with training uh, salespeople. And if you've read um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, you'll be familiar with this, and there's a lot more literature on it. There's a lot of research now on what makes for mastery whether it's mastery as a salesperson or as an athlete or as in anything. There's this, all this research on mastery. And what they say is that once you're beyond a certain threshold of intelligence and skill level, in other words, you have to have some good skill and good intelligence, then it doesn't matter that you have more to make you highly successful. What matters is the, is the quality of deliberate intention. That if, you're, if you practice in a deliberate way, whatever the skill area is if there's a deliberate quality that's what creates the mastery so the second element the first element of intention is this deliberateness that you get very conscious of your intention and if it's an intention to be free to let go of blaming to be more kind that it becomes very deliberate okay the second quality is the content of course you can be very purposeful about accumulating wealth or punishing others or controlling people as much as you can be deliberate and intentional about spiritual freedom. So the content. Lily Tomlin put it really well. She said, even if you win the rat race, you are still a rat. So I think that's good. So in the Buddhist tradition, there's three ways that we cultivate this power of deliberate conscious intention. And I'm going to review the three ways, and this is why I'm not sure how much I'll have time for tonight, but the three ways are that we have a practice of contemplating our long-term intention, what's sometimes called aspiration, just as we do in class when we have that reflection. So I'll go more into that. The second way that we... Uh, cultivate intention is in our daily meditation being, witnessing our attitude towards what's happening because often in meditation the intention can be just to numb out or get rid of pain so to use our daily meditation and then the third way is to practice setting your intention and arousing it in difficult circumstances in ones where you're most coming from a narrow intention so those are the three areas so we'll start with the first, which is contemplating what we're most fundamentally dedicated to. And um, in the bodhisattva path, that's the path of an awakening being, this is this setting, the compass of the heart, is absolutely integral to freedom. Our conditioning is to forget. Our wants are layered. On the surface, we might want just to feel... Um, less stress and to get things done so we feel better about ourselves but on the deepest level we might might want spiritual realization they're layered so on the bodhisattva path there's an actual practice of contemplating and asking the question what really matters the power behind intent by the way is aspiration so that in other words intent tells us what we care about so I intend to be loving or to be understanding but aspiration is the feeling of being loving it's the feeling of understanding so in this first part this training in establishing our intention it takes it's a meditation unto itself you might notice that at the beginning of class when i ask you so what do you really intend for tonight what's your deep aspiration you might notice that the mind's kind of swirling and you might have some words that you're saying like i want to feel more peaceful or more loving but it's it's kind of more mechanical like you're not really in touch with that sincerity I was talking about and if I asked you at the end after you've sat for a while and gotten very quiet it would be more of a visceral sense of aspiration like, oh, this quietness is precious I love this quality of presence this is what I care about and it would be more heartfelt so Part of this practice of contemplating what matters is getting quieter and quieter, so we connect in a deeper way to what we care about. In the East, spiritual realization is. If you ask somebody, they'll very quickly tell you that it's more—at uh, least in the culture. I don't know how much it's deep in the psyche, but in the culture, if you go to any city or village, and you say, "Well, where's the local saint?" What they'll do is they'll point the way, or they are eagerly will take you there themselves. I mean, it's just a part of the culture—spiritual realization. But if you go to, um, you know, Montgomery Mall and say, "Where's the local saint?" you know, it's like it's. It's not in our culture. That's not necessarily what comes to mind. And yet deep down, and I think the suffering of our culture is really an absence of the sacred. I think there is a yearning, but there's a disconnection from that. And we're, a, we're an ADD culture, to use a kind of common term. We're, our attention is easily tugged around, and we're stressed and we're speedy and we're distracted. So we don't often come home to that sincerity about what most really matters. It's sometimes only when something really, really challenging has happened in our life and we've been kind of hit a wall or something. Or we've been very, very hurt or very, very, um, in some way inspired. So we're distracted a lot. This is Wendell Berry. He says... If we are serious about peace, then we must work for it as ardently, seriously, continuously, carefully, and bravely as we now prepare for war. Can we even begin to imagine what would happen if our society's resources that go to defending and attacking truly went to peace. Just as we talk about the power of, you know, if we have a, an intention towards aggression or grasping, how that creates karma, when a whole culture has an intention towards accumulation, towards grasping, we see what happened. We, come at, we end up with crisis. There's a, there's a magnetic energy that gets kind of quantitative leap in it when a group of people have an intention, whether it's towards hostility and rage are towards peace and love. So there's a power to coming together and feeling our shared intention to wake up. You can feel it. So what Wendell Berry describes, if we could really dedicate ourselves, is not to bring up guilt because each of us could look into our own hearts and minds and say, boy, I'm not really focused enough on healing the planet or maybe I'm not really, really dedicated enough to discovering who I am, to waking up, to opening my heart. And so the point's not to make us feel bad about not focusing enough, but to realize that there's a kind of a a sorrow that comes up when we get how many moments have been hijacked and focused on stuff that doesn't really matter to us so much. It's the kind of sense of if we're at the end of our life looking back, where have we spent our attention. It's particularly poignant when we reflect on our relationships, when we ask, well, how, what's my intentionality been there? And we know that really love matters, loving well matters a lot, and yet each of us can sense our own ADD on that one, how we get preoccupied, how we get scared, how we get distracted, how we go into our daydreams and really don't pay attention. I know, when I conduct weddings, we spend a lot of time on the vows and it's the centerpiece of, of really the expression of who two people are, their vows, their commitment to loving each other. And I often really encourage couples to redo their vows regularly because we forget. That's not the place we're living from in day-to-day life. Havi says, ask the friend for love, ask him again, for I have found that each heart will get what it prays for most. What do you pray for most? And what is the intention that's most conscious? This is a, a story starts with a, a mother saying to her son, hurry up, Noah. Noah, let's go. Come on, Noah. I implored my four-year-old son, if he does not get his sneakers on more quickly, how will I ever manage to do our errands and make it to the park in time for him to play before lunch? <laughs> Brown eyes large and serious, Noah looks up at me. But I want to feed my horsey, he insists. Will you help me? We have to go, I want to say. We'll never get to the park. But before I say another word, a story that a friend told me comes to mind. My friend had heard the story from a young widower of her own late friend, Susan. When Susan was pregnant for the first time, she found out she had cancer. She miraculously gave birth nonetheless to a healthy baby girl. But as the months passed, she and all those dear to her realized that she wasn't going to win the battle. She was dying. And during the first year of her baby's life, the only year she would live to experience, Susan had a constant refrain. I have no time to rush. I have no time to rush. Here, Noah, I say now with a smile showing him the toy carrot. Horsies love carrots. Delighted Noah holds the carrot out to his toy horse. Here, horsey, he says, his eyes are even bigger now and his face is radiant. He's so beautiful, I realize. And how long, after all, will he be asking me to help feed his imaginary horse? So what if we remembered how brief this all is and we remembered that we don't have time to rush? So one of the um, great reminders that really can help us develop the power of intention, a deliberateness and a depth is impermanence. Uh, I remember when I read the Carlos Castaneda books being really struck by the phrase death as an advisor, that death is always sitting on our left shoulder and when we make when it makes even the slightest gesture how petty things can seem, it just falls, the pettiness falls away. When we remember the truth that this is passing, that it's fleeting. That things we thought would last forever, people we thought would just be around or that we'd be in certain places doing certain work in a certain kind of body, it all passes. When we remember that our intention can get more deliberate and deeper. One of my heroes, Aldous Huxley, was uh, one of the stories of his his dying was actually a a pretty powerful story he he had throat cancer and he was in the last hours he was um, surrounded by students and friends and family they gathered close and one person asked a question and they said what have you learned that most matters about life and he couldn't speak loud because of his throat but he whispered and they all leaned in and what he said was be kinder just that So it's an inquiry when we sense what matters how, would, how does death and impermanence inform us because there's a wisdom in it So this is the same transmission this teaching that we get in all the spiritual traditions or in the best books and so on which is don't wait for the diagnosis and just don't wait No matter what you think you're waiting for, don't wait. That there's a potential to go very deep in our healing and our spiritual life and it comes from remembering what matters. That in the moment we're remembering what matters, we're more at home in the sincerity of our being. So just, we'll do our first reflection tonight. We might do another one if we have time. Which will be similar to what we do when we open class. Just to close your eyes, if you will. And sit in, this isn't a long reflection, but sit in whatever way is comfortable for you. And in this pause, in this settling, just let your attention deepen so that you're very aware of the sensations of sitting here. aware of the sounds and sense if it's possible to relax just a bit more right in this moment. Imagining that you're in your current physical state, but that you know you just have a few days left on planet Earth. Let's see if you can really let go of the normal way you might view things and just sense there's just a little time left. What would be most important? on how you live these days. You might think of certain people, what's most important in terms of being with those people What's most important in how you are with your own inner life? How do you want to treat yourself, be with yourself, pay attention to yourself? What do you most want to remember as you move through these moments? There's just a little shift in perspective. If you're at the end of your life and looking back, what would you like to see about how you lived your life? What feels most sincere as your aspiration for how you live your moments? know that as you feel that sincerity, that's a homecoming. You're coming home to more of who you truly are. D. H. Lawrence puts it this way, he says, men are not free doing just what they want. Men are only free doing what the deepest self likes. And there's getting down to the deepest self. It takes some diving. So in this first part of the training and aspiration, we begin to create some space and get quiet and really reflect and touch in as direct a way as we can what matters. And let this be the compass of the heart that can guide us. So the second domain that actually lets our intention bleed into our day in a very active way is through our meditation practice. And meditation practice is basically practice in remembering. That when we're meditating, the given is that the mind gets distracted and we get caught in a trance that's rather small-minded. We've forgotten. And because there's an intention to come back to presence, at some point sometimes in a few moments of thought, sometimes it could be ten minutes of thinking, at some point there's, oh yeah, I'm thinking, let's come back. That skill of remembering is what helps us during the day catch on to the, oh, I've been caught in a kind of an intention that's ego-based, is fearful, is grasping. What really matters? That practicing. Now, it also we also wake up our capacity for being more intentional in a more discreet way that meditation can reveal the intentions that have been unconscious and the way it works is that as the mind quiets there's a kind of lucidity that arises that can recognize the inner process that's going on so we can notice that when, let's say, some we have some sort of an unpleasant sound or feeling or thought We can notice if we're quiet and watching how the first thing that happens is we want to get rid of it, we want to push it away, we find trying to find ways to adjust and get more comfortable. The mind can notice that. So on a micro level we can notice how we're trying to manage experience and then again come back and say, ah, let go, let go. So for example, for me is that I often sit in the morning when I first wake up and in the last few months, there's been, not only have I been really tired, but I've ended up really achy. And so I'll sit in for the first half an hour of the six. I sit for about 45 minutes. I'm very aware of being tired and achy, or sometimes anxious about stuff I need to do. And that a lot of times I'm trying to manage that. So I, when I'm tired, I'll, breathe more deeply, I'll open my eyes, I'll, I'll start figuring out why didn't I, I, maybe I'll get a nap at such and such time, or if I'm achy, you know, maybe I'll take some anti-inflammatory, some tromiel, I'll get some tromiel and rub it on my, you know. So for the first while, there's unpleasant stuff happening, and I'm caught in it, and my intention is just to manage it, to control it, to get rid of it, okay? But then because I'm sitting still and in that stillness there's an intention to notice what's going on, I start noticing, oh, I'm trying to control unpleasant experience. What really matters here? Oh, it's being with, it's saying yes to whatever it is like, saying yes to the tiredness, to the achiness. And then there's a deeper quietness. And in that saying yes, there's a profound quality of freedom. As long as I'm trying to manage experience, even if I'm successful in reducing a certain experience, there's not freedom so meditation itself can train you to notice what your attitude is towards what's happening and that is itself a powerful, powerful way of practicing to sit, to notice what's coming up, but to also notice, well, what's the attitude towards it? Is there a yes? Or are we trying to get rid of it? If we are trying to get rid of it, we are operating off of smaller intentions. The intention to be comfortable, the intention to just feel easy. The deepest intention when we practice, let it be. Let it be. Here is Chogyam Trungpa, he said, when there is no desire to satisfy yourself, there is no aggression or speed, because there is no rush to achieve, you can afford to relax because you can afford to relax you, know, you can afford to keep company with yourself you can afford to make love with yourself to be friends with yourself in other words when there's no intention to manage your experience to make it more or better or different you can actually come home to feeling love with the life that's right here so again I'd like just to invite you to we're going to sit for a few moments and practice this a bit So in this short pause, in this short sit, let your deepest intention be towards an unconditional presence that doesn't try to get rid of an ache or a tiredness or anything that's unpleasant but rather to recognize and allow what's here. Let that be your intention so that whatever's going on right now tightness, tension, flowing, open, tight, closed, anxious, sad, happy. That your practice is the purity of presence. And part of that presence is to recognize when instead there's an attitude that something's wrong and you want to change it, when there's a smaller intention. When difficulty arises the inquiry is, how am I relating to this? Is the intention to let be or the intention to manage? Notice what's happening right in this moment. And notice the attitude. Is there a letting be? Or a sense of wanting it different? sense what happens in these last few moments when you again reflect on the intention to absolutely allow life to be just as it is a surrendering presence Intention to let be is the gateway to freedom. So, the first level of training to reflect on our, our life aspiration, to just daily bring that to mind ten times a day and then in our meditation practice to have our intention towards presence and notice when we drift, notice the attitude our other intentions that slide in there especially with meditation it can easily be that we're using meditation to uh, numb out or to get away from anxiety or to control our thoughts, there's all sorts of lesser intentions than freedom itself one person told me this little story of three Swiss monks of the Benedictine order are meditating high in the Alps and suddenly a beautiful milk cow walks by. The first monk says, hmm, this is Fritz's cow, I tell you. Half an hour later, the second monk says, hmm, really that was Kurt's cow, I'm quite sure. Another half an hour later, the third Swiss monk stood up and said, I'm going away, I can't stand you guys having an argument around me when I'm trying to meditate. (laughs) So there's this sense of meditation should be this way there should be total quietness meditation should be this way crystal rainbows of light meditation should be that I'm free of anxiety you know, it's like we have these ideas and the intention is to create a certain state but there's a deeper intention that really liberates us with practice which is to remember to be here as well as we can and then to let everything be just as it is non-interfering presence. Okay, the third area. When difficulty arises, how to kind of reset our intention, how to remember. And for most of us, whether it's ordinary stress or great stress going on in our lives, when we are stressed, it, those are the moments that our intention most gets hijacked that 's when we most forget what deeply matters to us, and we get into this kind of temporary well, I got to take care of this, and then i 'll go back to being spiritual or then i 'll go back to you know being generous and kind, but first, i got to get over the hump here so and a lot of it has a sense of trying to get through the day. It's like, I'm too stressed out to get into the deeper stuff right now. I can't reflect on my Buddha nature. I really need to just pay this bill, you know. So, and then there's, of course, the, way, the Islamic saying of, praise Allah and hook up your camel so he doesn't run away, that kind of thing. So the question is, well, what stops us from really remembering... And I think it's a really good inquiry in any moment, what's between me and a really wise intention? You know, what's really going on? And usually what we come up with is we're too anxious. We're just too anxious to settle in and touch more deeply into what matters. Our system's too revved. So you might reflect on today and just sense today for a few moments of what was the predominant intention And usually, as I say, it's unconscious. But just review your day and sense the activities and the kind of thoughts that were going on and see if you can tune into what kind of intention was operative behind the lines. What were you going after, trying to accomplish? What did you want to experience? What did you want to avoid? Was there reactivity? Preoccupation? Can you sense how there was a lack of conscious intention? Can you sense the unconscious intentions to defend or protect or get more comfortable, how they were really shaping your day? As the Buddha describes suffering, we make our home in small places when our aspiration or intention's not conscious, it's often set low, narrow. It's often shaped by stress, by fight or flight. Men are not free doing just what they want. They're only free doing what the deepest self wants. And it takes getting down to the deepest self. It takes some diving. So we'll close a bit today, we're not going to get to dealing with difficulty, but I'd like to just invite you to look at today and take a moment to sense, just as you did earlier, if you were at the end of your life looking back, if you are at the end of this day looking back, what do you wish you had remembered a bit more? What do you wish you had been in touch with a bit more? Would the reminder, there's no time to rush, have supported you in some way. Just check it out for a moment. And to deepen the inquiry, take one element of today and sense... What would have been possible if you had remembered the valuing of presence, the valuing of love, of slowing down, perhaps one interchange with another person, how you might have shown up more, not to feel bad or guilty but rather to sense the possibility that's here. Poet Rumi says, sometimes you hear a voice through the door calling you as a fish out of water hears the surfs come back. This turn towards what you deeply love saves you. So we close this evening the way we open many classes by Inviting that listening to our hearts and sensing as we continue through this week, what is the intention or aspiration that we want to guide us? And with the same sincerity, those fishermen. The really the same the real sincerity of our hearts when we're most at home. Just let that be an inner prayer. However resonates for you. And you might sense one place in your life, maybe one person or one activity in this week to come where you'd like to particularly bring that intention alive so as to practice. One place you might slow down, one place you might consciously remember, may I really live from loving presence? May I be kind? or whatever your intention is. So just take a moment to imagine with a person or in a certain activity where you might bring alive your intention this week. Sometimes you hear a voice through the door calling you as a fish out of water hears the surfs come back. This turn towards what you deeply love saves you. Namaste. So I'd like to encourage you to experiment with intention because there is an amazing possibility of freeing ourselves from old patterns and uh, living in a very fresh way. So explore setting your intention, reflecting on aspiration, bringing it alive in certain situations and we will be continuing this uh, next week. The teaching you have received has been freely offered. If you would like to contact the Insight Meditation Community of Washington to make a donation or to learn more about our programs, please visit our website at www.imcw.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit DharmaSeed.com